She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. In search of... Hypnosis. This episode was written and produced by Robert S. Fiveson, or Five Son, or Fiveson? I'm not sure. It's like five and then son. Anyway, edited by Lawrence Ross with assistance by Greg Goldman. The series is hosted and narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And this episode originally aired on Thursday, March 9th, 1978. Yeah. Amid the tension and concentration of an operating room, A woman's life is on the line. Doctors and nurses work intently to bring her through. A routine enough occurrence, except that this woman is allergic to any form of anesthesia. She is undergoing the operation using hypnosis as the only anesthetic. Can she rely on the power of her mind to transport her to another place? A place without pain? Then suddenly we see a man with a stocking over his face and he has a gun and a school bus is being hijacked. Oh no. A man is plunged into a frightening ordeal. Crucial details become buried in his memory. Details he will recall with the help of hypnosis. Police sirens. What strange force enables a policeman to recall the face of an assailant after living through the trauma of being shot? He will draw on the hidden and mysterious powers of the mind. (gasps) In search of hypnosis. I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, cool. The cop is shot by a black guy. That's super awesome. He Uh probably used the hidden and mysterious powers of racism to convict the nearest black man. So. (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah no and also like it's like ooh, what what allowed him to recall these details i mean it's called memory and also the, a lot of the details witnesses recall are not actually accurate so yeah there's that and i'm not saying black people don't commit crimes i'm just saying the police are a racist institution and have been since their creation and they should be abolished anyway yeah theory and conjecture blah 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 there we go police just help sustain the white supremacist capitalistic society that we live in which so great for everybody (laughs) we were just talking about that before we recorded so i'm already a little cranky about it (laughs) good timing in search of good timing timing so we see a clip from the movie svengali and it shows svengali hypnotizing a beautiful young blonde woman and then we see a stage hypnotist who's doing a countdown and then a group at the table Act like chickens, and it's not good acting. It's not good at all. Anyway, no. No. Yeah. And we are told that many people think of hypnosis as frivolous because it is often used that way. <laughs> so in search of is not impressed either <laughs> with their chicken acting. It's like, I, you never watched the rest of development, huh? No. Because there's that part where everyone in the family tries to imitate a chicken and everyone's different and completely bad. And Michael's like, has anyone in this family ever seen a chicken? Because everyone's just oh, doing They it. may have watched this episode of In Search Of as inspiration. <laughs> Maybe. Hypnosis. For hundreds of years, a word connected with charlatans, evil magic, and stage shows. 
Today, doctors, scientists, police, and others are finding hypnosis an increasingly important tool. Hypnosis gives us startling new insights into ourselves. It gives us a shortcut, a threshold to that elusive, mysterious area we call the subconscious mind. Oh, well, now that sounds fancy. (laughs) So then we meet Dr. William Kroger, and he has pioneered the medical use of hypnosis. And Kroger says that hypnosis is not a trance, not a state of unconsciousness. It is not even remotely related to sleep. It is a state of super alertness. He believes the key to achieving a hypnotic state is the misdirection of attention. And then he like makes the coin disappear with sleight of hand. He does some magic tricks. Ooh, look at me. So that was kind of actually kind of cool. Anyway, then we meet Dr. Ira Greenberg, and we watch him like put the Vulcan nerve pinch on a woman on a couch, which is kind of funny since Leonard Nimoy hosts this episode. But anyway, he's like doing it. <laughs> like true. puts his hand on her shoulder, and she's all, oh, she just clocks over. It's true. I didn't even make that connection. But you're right. That's funny. <laughs> and we are told he is able to elicit responses typical of hypnotized persons. And then he makes the groups people's so like you know they think like your arm is floating, and so their arms all go up in the air. And then he guides them back to their childhood, and they tell stories about their childhood. So. Yeah, Mm -hmm. again, acting in this one is kind of bad, too, because that woman just totally, like, just, she slumps over against the guy next to her, and he starts (laughs) laughing. Yeah, he does start laughing. (laughs) (laughs) There's, like, two dudes with glasses, too, sitting across from each other, and they're both just, like, talking about how great, I don't know, it's just funny, they're, like, this is so... Yeah, and then then, uh, Greenberg does give him the Vulcan nerve pinch, too, but he just kind of, like, is, like, oh, I'm asleep. He doesn't, he's not so dramatic, so, yeah. Dr. Joseph Barber is director of UCLA's pain control clinic and uses hypnosis. He characterizes hypnosis as a somnambulistic state, even though the person may appear awake. No difference can be seen between the brain states of a hypnotized state and a waking state. Mm-hmm. Which to me just kind of says that maybe that means hypnosis isn't a thing. I mean, it yeah, we're over there faking. Yeah, that too. Barber drives needles through a subject's skin while they are under a hypnotic state. The subject was instructed to bleed from only one of the wounds. So he's like putting this needle through like this. He's like pinching a little bit of skin on his hand. He's not pinching it, but Mm -hmm. you know, if you did, he's just shoving the needle through and he's like, hey, only bleed through this side, which to me, I don't know. It's kind of a weird instruction, but uh, somehow it seems to work a little maybe but neither side really seems to be bleeding so i don't know barbara admits they don't understand the mechanism but it exists and it can be used in medical procedures Whoa! and then we're told how eastern yogis have shown similar control but only after lifetimes of study is hypnosis a shortcut to powers beyond our imaginings (gasps) maybe Barber says the public needs to realize that what they see on stage is not hypnosis, but entertainment. Mark, a 24-year-old who was diagnosed with a form of cancer called Hodgkin's disease, now known as Hodgkin's lymphoma, which has come up on In Search of Before, Mm -hmm. uses guided imagery with the assistance of Jean Campo from the Newton Center for Clinical Hypnosis to activate his body's defense system. 
Yeah, which Hodgkin's lymphoma is absolutely serious. It's cancer. It has killed people. It's, you know, very, it can be awful. It is one of the more treatable forms of cancer, though, thankfully. So, like, I don't know. It's just one of those things where, like, they keep using it on in search of, but it also has a really high, like, recovery rate. So I just think it's interesting that, like, that's the one they're like, yeah, this guy magically recovered. And it's like, just, well, that's good. And it's very good. And not everybody does. But, like, you know, your your odds are a lot better than with some other cancers. So well, our just, last instance of it was the lady who, remember, when she was she had her out-of-body experience and yes. God was like, nah, go back in your body. And then he was mm-hmm. like, I understand. And then made her go back because he didn't want <laughs> but the point is like it's just one of those things with like ooh, you know he's got this horrible disease and it's true it is horrible and i would not wish it on anybody but it it, your chances of recovery from it are higher than other things so it's not like magic that these people are recovering anyway just wanted to point that out during these sessions mark basically becomes his own osmosis jones Mm-hmm. Where of course he goes inside his body and visualizes cells doing different things, and you know his blood cells mm-hmm. killing again. Like that also happened in that same episode, but it was a, it was that guy who was like helping the kid. Remember, mm-hmm. he was like telling him to go in and make his use their little ray guns to shoot the cancer and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're then asked if hypnosis might be a signpost pointing us towards a new and better way of living. <gasps> this is commercial because we asked a question. And then we're going to come back and answer it. And then on to your thing about the lymphoma stuff. So I have a question about this because I don't know what's true and what's not true here. But I find it weird that when we see Mark during the interview and during his hypnosis, he's wearing the same clothes. But during the outdoor interview sections, he has what I like to call tiny Tim circles under his eyes. You know, those dark circles and everything because he's sick, right? He's got cancer. But when he's under hypnosis and wearing the exact same clothes... He doesn't have dark circles under his eyes. And then we're also told that after his sessions, you know, went surgery and the doctors could find no signs of cancer. So he's better now, but he has tiny Tim eyes when they're, I don't know. I'm suspicious. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm guessing that the hypnosis was like a reenactment, right? Like it wasn't the actual whatever. Well, I know, but wouldn't the interview have been like after his stuff too? They wouldn't know about him until they wouldn't want to interview someone who then died from it. So I'm assuming they're interviewing him after he was cured. Maybe he so just did, couldn't sleep and he had a really bad <laughs> and he wears the same clothes. <laughs> yeah, because he didn't have them when he's in hypnosis, but he has them when he's being interviewed. So I just thought, and they totally look like tiny Tim eyes. But I mean, yeah. you know, if you're going under, you know, maybe he had chemo or something, I could see it. But yeah, the fact yeah. that the fact that I'm assuming he's already been cured and they're interviewing him after the fact and he's just talking about it, it just seems weird that like. It might be makeup. I don't know. Maybe he was nervous about the interview, and so he didn't sleep. Maybe. Couldn't sleep. Yeah. I I do have to say, because it it looks convincing, and so I'm thinking, like, okay, it's probably not makeup, because In Search of wouldn't have been able to do it that convincingly, but (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was weird, because when he's being hypnotized, he doesn't have dark circles. So, eh, I don't know. So then we come back from commercial. And that group at the hypnotism show are now race car drivers and they're shifting gears and turning wheels and stuff. And their acting is not improved at all. And people in the audience are laughing because he's like, you know, turn left. And people are like, you know, turning the wheel. And yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. People are amused by this, I guess. Yeah. It was the 70s. They didn't have Nintendo yet. So I guess you can't blame them. And maybe they have good pours at that bar. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> right? You know? like they're not really watering the drinks margaritas. down. Yeah. yeah. They're not watering them down like other bars. Anyway, no names. 
In the late 1700s, Franz Anton Mesmer used his theory of animal magnetism to explain what we now call hypnosis. He used magnets and what we're told are passes of the hand and magnetized tubs to create hypnotic states. But then he was eventually declared a charlatan and driven from scientific circles by a group led by Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> supposedly. So I don't know. Yeah. I think it's odd they mentioned Mesmer as a historical analog, but then don't mention where the term hypnosis actually came from. So, which is where? Well, in eighteen, well, because Mesmer, I think Mesmer died in eighteen twenty, I believe, or he was around in eighteen twenty. I don't remember when he died, but anyway, in eighteen forty-three, um, it was like a Scottish doctor who came up with the term. Okay. So yeah, um, his name was James Braid. Okay. So in eighteen forty-three. And Mesmer died in 1815. So I was close. I thought 1820. But okay. Yeah. yeah. So about 30 years after he died. But it was but it was based on Mesmer's animal magnetism or fluism, as he called it, too. So and in, according to Wikipedia, the term Mesmerism is generally a synonym of hypnosis. So I don't know that that's true anymore. Maybe this is the 1840s version of Wikipedia that I'm looking at. But yeah. So. <laughs> And then we see Dr. Ron Katz, head of UCLA's Department of Anesthesiology, and he is the doctor who was performing the operation that we saw in the opening, which is a breast biopsy and possible mastectomy, which I don't think you would do those at the same time. So I'm No, not sure probably not, because I would think a biopsy yeah. would take a little bit of time. Yeah, you do the biopsy to see if you have cancer, and then necessarily if you would have to do a mastectomy. So yeah, I'm not sure what the surgeon is talking about. Anyway, last time the woman, whose name is Kay, had surgery and was given anesthesia, she ended up in a coma for several days. So Ooh, anesthesia not is not a good idea. No, and oh. I keep wanting to say Anastasia instead of anesthesia, and I don't know why. Anyway... <laughs> Kay hypnotizes her to believe that her breast is so cold that it is numb and that she cannot feel it. And I, I, there is nothing creepy in this scene, but just the idea of someone hypnotizing a woman and talking about her breasts made me feel <laughs> uncomfortable. I didn't, it didn't bother me because, <laughs> because it's it's for a medical purpose. So like it didn't feel like creepy yeah, or weird just or anything. Weird. It was very much like, and now your nipple is numb. <laughs> Yeah. And now it's like ice on your nipples. And you're like, okay, wow, in search of this does not need to go yeah. there. This and is it's slowly dripping program. down. And no, he yeah. didn't do that. But like, I mean, so. no. But I mean, and that's the thing is like, it wasn't meant to. I think I'm just a perv. I just, he was talking about a boob. And I was like, yeah. Well, me too. Um, I mean, but like, I yeah. So. But we're just well, perverts. Also, like, it's not, I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't like titillating or anything. He was just trying to get her to feel it being. No, there. well, right before this, we saw like all these like woodcuts and like prints of like mesmer and like he's with women and some of them i think are probably like anti-mesmer prints and so they it, it looks all like lascivious and stuff like that like he's hypnotizing women that kind of thing so it just it came right after that too and i was like mm. but anyway yeah. so. <laughs> but it's for a medical purpose he needs her <laughs> breast to be numb and not feel it yeah so he, she doesn't feel it when he's groping her later anyway interesting that they don't use real <laughs> ice though you think maybe they could ice it down a little help her out but anyway it's fine no, she has the power of her mind. We don't need ice. And the ice will melt and then drip down slowly and get everybody excited. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're making it for us. 
not gross, but we're making it sexual when it's not. <laughs> Sexy time on the podcast. Anyway, Kay was skeptical at first. Of course, you would be right. But she found herself being transported to a new and separate reality under hypnosis. Ooh. So apparently it went fine. Yeah, she, apparently it worked, it. which... I mean, I don't know, like, I really want to believe in that stuff. Like, the fact that maybe, like, in our minds, we have the power to, like, control our bodies in such a way that we can, like, beat disease just by thinking about it in the right way or whatever. Or, like, you know, make your body so numb and just disassociate so far that you can have surgery and not feel it. Like, it's cool. The idea is cool. I don't know how much I believe it. I guess it works in some respects, but, like, yeah, I, I don't it know. It was weird, though, because she's describing, like, her mental world that she went into. Uh-huh. And basically, she's skiing, and yes. skiing is making her breath super cold. I'm like, are you skiing topless? What are you doing? I don't understand. <laughs> right, so... like, if you're skiing correctly, that should not be the case, because you yeah, should have and layers like, And, like, people would see her coming and get out of the way, and I'm like, because you're naked? I don't want to Yeah, what? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I've been skiing, so I've never felt that. But I always have like five layers on. So hmm. anyway, then we're back with Barber, the skin piercer, who says that people under hypnosis have a greater ability to experience fantasy and accept that fantasy is real. They also have the ability to remember things that are not so easy to remember. <gasps> Segway. A cop car races to respond to a burglary call in broad daylight. A cop tries to subdue a black man who escapes his grasp, knocking the cop aside. And then he grabs the other cop's gun and shoots that cop with his own weapon. Oh, no. An LAPD police captain is apparently an expert on how trauma can lock up memories in the mind. Mm-hmm. The officer, who now seems fine, but we're not really giving details on where he was shot or his injuries or his recovery. So, uh, I mean, the reenactment does show it at like point blank range, possibly in the chest or neck. Like, it seems like a pretty awful thing, but he doesn't look. I mean, it could be way after. So maybe he's just recovered, but we don't get any information. Yeah, we're going to assume this is a reenactment we're watching. So, yeah. I mean, it is a reenactment, much. but we just don't yeah. know how accurate of a reenactment. Like, we don't no, know. but I meant the reenactment. Of him under hypnosis, too. I'm going to assume that's not the actual hypnosis that he had. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. yeah. So he's hypnotized, and he relates the events as if he were watching them on a television. That would be crazy if In Search of have footage, like POV footage of like him being shot, if he just happened to be there. <laughs> that would be like nuts. in his head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sweet. I mean, cause, yeah. Well, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have body cams in, and obviously they probably haven't covered or turned off anyway if they're arresting a black guy. So, yeah. But... Yeah, that would be cool, too. Yeah. That'd be nuts. In search of cameras are traveling the world looking for people. (laughs) So in what he remembers, they arrive at the address and they stop the first black guy they see, basically, and frisk him, which we're told is normal procedure, which sounds great. I'm sure that's not what they're saying, but like, eh, it's it's not wrong. Well, I think Uh, he said that frisking them was normal procedure, not the whole stopping the first black person. But I mean, that's basically But I mean. Yeah, I mean, it probably is, too. As they're frisking him, the suspect, quote, let out a blood-curdling scream and escaped his partner's grasp, grabbed the cop's gun, and fired two shots at point-blank range. He fell on his back, and then the guy shot him two more times while standing right over him. That's pretty vicious. I'm surprised this guy's still alive. Mm -hmm. He described the suspect under hypnosis while a police sketch artist sketches. 
Oh, I think we're told like then it led to a conviction, which doesn't mean that was the person who did the burglary or is even the person that shot him. But right. apparently it did lead to a conviction. So, okay. Yeah. Hmm. We definitely need more pseudoscience in like our justice system. <laughs> I just think it's funny because you're right. Like it's just memory. I think you yeah. remember the face of the guy who shot you. Probably, but, and if you don't, you don't, yeah. but yeah. I mean, although he did fall, they did say he fell on his back, so he could have hit his head and had a concussion, so he could have had some cognitive issues afterwards. Was probably still allowed to be a cop after that, and that would be great, too. But anyway, now it's time for school bus hijacking time. Woo, yeah. And we see kids getting on a bus, and this is the Chowchilla school bus kidnapping. Mm-hmm. You can look it up. There'll be links in the show notes, too. I know all about it. There's also a bunch of true crime podcasts that have covered it. I'm sure if you search, you can oh, find it. I know all about it, too, for reasons we will talk about later. Nice. No, I wasn't one of the kids on the bus, don't worry. So. Oh, good. Anyway, yeah, no, that, that would that would be amazing. you think that would have come up earlier if that had been the case. <laughs> I don't know. Some people don't mention <laughs> stuff like that. They're like, hey, yeah, no. My mom, like one of her friends was killed by like a prolific serial killer in a national park, and I just found out about it like a year ago. She oh, was shit. like, oh, yeah, I knew somebody who was killed and i was like oh my god you never mentioned that to me at all so i mean i guess you don't tell your kids about people you knew that were violently killed but yeah so you never know (laughs) people hold Hmm. stories close to their chest (laughs) anyway on thursday july 15th 1976 three masked men with guns hijacked the dairyland elementary school bus driven by Frank Edward Ed Ray. The bus was carrying 26 students, which ranged in ages from 5 to 14, and it was actually like the last day of summer school, which is why it's like in July. So the kidnappers then held them in a truck trailer that had been buried in a quarry and planned to ransom them. But they escaped after about 16 hours, and all three men were convicted. So we go back to Dr. William Kroger, and he talks about hypnotizing Ed Ray. And under hypnosis, we see Ray was able to provide all but one of the license numbers of the kidnapper's van. So I can't say this was useless information for the prosecution or if it was even used in the trial, but it wasn't actually the evidence that led to the kidnappers being arrested. So there was a lot of other stuff going on. So mm-hmm. basically they like they owned the quarry where they buried the trailer and like they were missing and they couldn't be found because they ran and they couldn't make the ransom call because the phone lines, this is the night this is a super small town, people, and it's 1976, and all the phone lines were tied up by parents calling the police trying to find their kids, and so they actually couldn't call to make the ransom number because all the phone lines were tied up, which is kind of hilarious. It is so. really hilarious. It's so funny, like these bad terrible plans that people have had thank goodness this one does not end like tragically because you know people survive yeah i mean there's obviously trauma involved but oh god yeah i mean i'm sure those kids needed years of therapy they didn't get because their boomer parents were like therapy doesn't work go stand in the corner (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it was like an it was national news so it was a big yes it was yeah yeah anyway and then we go to commercial and then we come back and Leonard Nimoy is on location in what might be a French class. I don't it know. Is. The, it, it is. It is. Okay. Yeah. The dude's speaking in French, so I'm assuming it yes. was a French class and they're trying to learn French. And he yeah. tells us that learning speed can be enhanced through hypnosis. And he's also talking super quiet because, like, the class is hypnotized <laughs> while the dude is talking in French. So Sitting in the class with them while they're talking. And then they're going back and forth. When I was watching it, I, I knew what they said. I can't remember now because it was been, like, a week since I've seen it. Uh oh, I lost Tori. Are you there? Are you there? 
Now we're back. <laughs> yeah, sorry. My internet decided to go out in the middle of recording, so I had to reset my router. That was fun. I was scared it was like out, out. And so I was like checking to see if there was like a large scale outage or anything, but I don't know. Mine just died for a minute for funsies. So, yeah, that was a good uh, 10 minutes. Yeah. 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 I had to get it back online, but I'm back. <laughs> so anyway, I was saying it's really funny because like they're in the middle of this French class and Leonard Nimoy's just kind of like sitting there and he's like, some people believe hypnosis can help you learn languages better. And I'm like, yeah, that's called studying. Like, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Immersion really works with foreign languages. And I'm a person who learns foreign languages pretty easily. I say easily, like, I mean, it's a lot of work and it's not like, you know, I just magically know them. But, you know, if I spend a lot of time watching stuff in French and listening to French, like, I, you know, I just pick it up a lot easier. And obviously I've studied French for years and years. So French is good for me japanese not so much but you do pick up a lot by just being around it i feel like or at least i do absorb pretty easily so like i feel like it's not necessarily hypnosis it's just like focusing on what you're hearing and like being immersed in it maybe but i don't know but it is funny because i want leonard nimoy like hunched down in my french class whispering about things to a camera (laughs) i think that'd be awesome interrupting night school he's like hey i'm just bursting well it would be unsettling (laughs) if he did that now yeah although i'd still think it was very cool also i would definitely believe in ghosts after that so (laughs) win-win win-win anyway breaking through learning barriers controlling pain psychotherapy and behavior modification are just a few of the current uses of hypnosis Every day that passes, hypnosis is becoming a more important factor in our lives. What about 50 years from today? Possibly we'll find self-hypnosis being taught in schools for everyone to use. Possibly motion pictures will become unnecessary, obsolete when compared with the vivid pictures in our own minds. Mm. For if the mind is truly the gateway to the heavens... Hypnosis may be the key that unlocks the gate. Wow. Then it's over. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, where did that whole like mind being the gateway to the heavens come from? That came out of nowhere. So <laughs> and we got five years to end all movies. So that'll be 50 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Although okay. I, like is that sounds that's more like creative visualization than hypnosis. Although I mean, I guess they're kind of the same thing. Self-hypnosis, creative visualization, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Also, that doesn't really work because the point of movies and video games and entertainment like that is to share them. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I thought it was to make money. Well, yes, for the big studios, not necessarily for like the writers and actors, by the way, definitely support the writer strike. Haven't mentioned that on the podcast, but yes, please strike. I know. I hope I'm not breaking it by like writing these summaries for the podcast. No, because you're not a union member. Oh, and also we don't really make any money. So yeah, there's that. (laughs) So I guess we have solidarity. Studio production. So (laughs) (laughs) in fact, I was listening to another podcast with people who are in the actors union. They're not in the writers union, but they were they went down to the um one of the picket lines and were striking and stuff over the weekend or something they were talking about on the podcast. So yeah, I don't think podcasting counts. Okay, cool. Safe. Whew. Not, not, not crossing the line. All right. I don't mean to scab. <laughs> nope. 
So, as you may have guessed, we've mentioned that some of the stuff in this episode was ridiculous, but strangely, none of the individuals were. I mean, I did some semblance of research on everyone, so to keep me from droning on for like 10 minutes, and actually, I was considering recording the entire rest of the episode without Tori when her internet went out, and I knew that <laughs> people would stop listening at that point, but I figured, hey, still, I'm get the information out. So, yeah, so Tori's <laughs> going to help me out a little bit with my research. So. All right. William Saul Kroger pioneered the use of hypnosis in medicine and literally wrote a textbook on it. We learned of Dr. Kaz, not that Dr. Kaz, performing breast surgery in the episode, but Kroger did the same thing in 1956 and did thyroid surgery the week before that. He was originally trained as a gynecologist and obstetrician and used hypnosis during the first film birth under hypnosis. He also taught and trained FBI agents in hypnosis techniques and assisted in more than 30 cases, including work with the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit, which we all know and love if you're into true crime or any of that stuff. X-Files or Millennium or... John Douglas. Yeah. Yeah. All that. And obviously he worked on the Chow Chilla case because that was kidnapping, so it was FBI. Mm -hmm. He died in 1995 at the age of 89. Ira Arthur Greenberg was raised in the Hebrew National Orphan Home. He was drafted in 1944, and afterwards he earned a B.A. in journalism at the University of Oklahoma, an M.A. in English at UCLA, an M.S. in counseling at CSULA, and a Ph.D. in psychology at Claremont, California Grad School in 1967. That's a lot of schooling. Mm-hmm. His books include Psychodrama and the Audience Attitude Change, 1968, Psychodrama, Theory and Practice, 1974, Group Hypnotherapy and Hypnodrama, 1977, The Hebrew National Orphan Home, Memories of Orphanage Life in 2001. That's like a biography. Yeah. yeah. He also apparently was working on a book um, when he died. Spoiler. He died. So Yeah. He also produced and hosted his own talk show, possibly on public access cable in 1988, called Crime and Public Safety. He died in 2012, just a few months short of his 88th birthday. And from a 2011 journal article bio that I totally plagiarized, quote, Joseph Barber, Ph.D., is a clinical professor at the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine, University of Washington School of Medicine. He is an internationally recognized expert and pioneer in the application of hypnosis for chronic pain management, having developed protocols that are recognized for their unusual efficacy and has written seminal books on the topic, Psychology Approaches to the Management of Pain, 1982, Hypnosis and Suggestion in the Treatment of Pain, a Clinical Guide, 1996. He was actually an editor on that one. He is a diplomate of the American Board of Psychological Hypnosis and a fellow of both the Society for Clinical and Experimental Hypnosis, of which he was also a past president, and the American Society for Clinical Hypnosis, end quote. And actually, some of that stuff is me. You guys know where I interjected and what was not quote. So anyway, (laughs) this was honestly the closest thing I could find out about him. I know he is no longer at University of Washington. He likely retired because he's probably like in his mid to late 70s. But this is him. I found a picture from a presentation he did. Um, and so I was able to match it to make sure it was the same guy. Because we know I have trouble with that. Thanks to in search of not giving names out properly. <laughs> but when you go to search for him, like 90% of the search hits are just about his 1996 book. And then like 9.9% of them are about other Joseph Barbers. 
So it's kind of crazy. Like he's so prominent in the field apparently, and yet almost nothing exists about like him. And I spent way too much time making sure he was the right Joseph Barber. So yeah, it was kind of rough. Also, by the way, he is not drjoebarber.com. That's another Joe Barber who's a doctor and <laughs> kind of does like pseudoscience stuff. But he does talk about pain management. So I was like, oh shit, but it's not the same guy. Also, he would be way too young because he's like almost like the same age as the guy is in the insurgent episode. Right. So, speaking of spending way too much time on something, I couldn't find shit on Jean Campo. There is apparently a Canadian politician with the same name, Jean Campo. But anyway, and I, at first I couldn't find anything on the Newton Center for Clinical Hypnosis, but then I did. I had a breakthrough. And the Newton Center for Clinical Hypnosis was started by Bernauer W. Newton, Ph.D. So that's why it's called the Newton Center for Hypnosis. Bernauer W. Newton was also a past president of the Society for Clinical and Experimental Hypnosis. The ASCH-ERF Dr. Bernau W. Newton Award for Lifetime Outstanding Contributions to Clinical Hypnosis, also known as the Fig Newton Award, because apparently his nickname was Fig Newton. Oh, that's um, funny. I like that. Yeah. I found one paper on hypnosis and cancer treatment from him, 1982, and then he was a co-author on a paper on multiple personality therapy in 1970. So one of his earlier papers, which is probably why he's a co-author, because he was just getting started. So he is listed as a corporate entity in California for three years from 1972 to 1975 under Bernauer W. Newton, PhD, Clinical Psychologist Incorporated. And the company is listed as 50 years, seven months old in the October 30th, 1972 filing. So that would match his age. I found a death certificate for Bernal W. Newton that is registered for March 2001 with the age listed at 83, which again tracks with the corporate filing. He also appears to have had a second home in Bozeman, Montana, while I lived there and possibly from 1960 through 2001 when he died. So that's the second in search of link to Bozeman, Montana while I lived there. Interesting. The other one was that lady that I got really angry about in the um, Man Who Wouldn't Die episode. Mm -hmm. So I know, yeah, she was the worst. Yeah. And then according to Google Maps, the Newton Center for Clinical Hypnosis is still active, has an active address, and it's just three miles south of UCLA, so like the right place. I almost called them because there's a telephone <laughs> number, but I chickened out. Aww. And also, I don't like I don't like talking on the phone. So, yeah. so I don't know if the telephone number is still working or not. So, And I'd really, really, really like to spend about half of this podcast talking about Mesmer and Benjamin Franklin, but maybe some other time. And that's not like a hint. Like I'm not going to do some special audit. I just really like to talk about them, but... Yeah, I'd be interested to hear about that because I don't know that I know. I mean, I've heard a little bit, but like, I don't know that I know like the whole story. So I'd be fascinated to hear that, actually. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. It's not a hint yet, people, but maybe. Who knows? We'll see. You never know. You never know what's going to come up on this podcast. That's what makes it fun. Yeah. Dr. Ronald Katz earned his MD from Boston University and then specialized in anesthesiology. His approach to medicine was always unconventional, leading him to work with non-traditional practices like hypnosis and acupuncture. He also developed medical devices in the 1960s that are still in use today. In 1973, he became the chair of anesthesia at UCLA, a role he served for 19 years. He later also served as the chair of anesthesia at USC. He was internationally known for his medical achievements, which include his membership in the Royal College of Surgeons of England, a rarity for an American and for an anesthesiologist. Mm -hmm. As an offshoot of his career in medicine, he spent many years consulting on and testifying as part of medical malpractice cases. He defended both healthcare professionals who had acted appropriately and patients who had been wronged. 
And yes, all of this is from his obituary. He died in 2017, a few weeks after his 85th birthday. Mm. And then a little bit about Chachilla. I didn't know that Tori knew about this as well. So I've got some stuff. And then I'll let Tori talk about what she knows. Oh, I don't. It's been a long time since I've heard it. I've heard it on a couple of true crime podcasts. Okay, so then I'll talk a little bit and then maybe Tori will say nothing. (laughs) Don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I just remember the being trapped underground and how terrifying that that they people describe oh, it as. Okay. And yeah, yeah. So Chowchilla had a population of about five thousand in nineteen seventy six. In the two thousand twenty census, the population was about nineteen thousand, which is about what this town where I lived in was when I was born in nineteen seventy. Anyway, the city is currently the location of two prisons. The Central California Women's Facility, which was built in 1990 and is the second largest female prison in the United States and houses California's only female death row. Yay. (laughs) And Valley State Prison, which was built in 1995 and was strangely also a women's prison before it converted and everyone went to the women's prison, which was built five years before it. So I don't know what is going on there and what they were doing. But that prison currently houses sensitive need yard inmates. So hmm. Chowchilla is also about 70 miles north of where I grew up. And I had just turned six years old when this kidnapping occurred. And in California, 70 miles is basically like walking down the street. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we knew about this when I was a kid. They've taken our children. The Chowchilla kidnapping was an ABC TV movie that aired on March 1st in 1993. Carl Malden of Streets of San Francisco fame played Frank Edward Ray, who was the bus driver during the Chowchilla kidnapping. Ray has three names, and in the In Search of episode, the way they keep focusing on his eyes, he kind of looks like he would be a good serial killer in a movie or a TV show. He's kind of got that look. I don't know. That's not nice to say about a guy who went through trauma, but he's kind of got that look like he would be a serial killer from the 70s. Anyway, he wasn't. Or was he? We don't know. Anyway, no, I shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong. (laughs) That's messed up. I shouldn't do that kind of crap. Anyway. He was almost, he he almost suffocated and died in a terrible kidnapping scheme. I mean, you know, that could happen to a serial killer too. I mean, it's just circumstance, right? What, you know, I mean, anyway, that could be a movie. (laughs) Anyway, he graduated from Chowchilla High School in 1940 and he worked for the Dairyland Union School District as a bus driver for nearly 40 years. He retired in 1988. He was married to the same person for nearly 70 years. They were still married when he passed. She outlived him, and he died at the age of 91 in 2012. So, And then Carl Malden, of course, he was 70 years old when he played Ray in the TV movie. Ray was 55 when the kidnapping occurred. And Carl Malden celebrated his 70th wedding anniversary in December of 2008, six months before he died in July of 2009 at the age of 97. So they both had really long marriages. I thought that was kind of interesting that he played someone who had a marriage basically as long as his and all these dudes and then they're all dudes and they're all white dudes they form an even more impressive actuarial table than those from our immortality episode these people lived a long time so yeah they really did i would say that they had like class stuff going on because like we've got a lot of doctors and we've got like carl malden who was like you know an actor and that kind of stuff but i mean you know frank edward ray he wasn't like some rich guy and he lived a pretty long time he died at age 91 so yeah yeah impressive that's all I got. Yeah. I don't remember much about the story. I just remember like it being terrifying and that it was badly planned out and the kidnappers were <laughs> incompetent. Yeah, they were they were pretty much dum dums. They have all been since um released from prison. Mm-hmm. Um what's the word I'm looking for? There's a re- pardoned, not pardoned, pardon not the right word. Um what is it when you get paroled? out of prison? Paroled. They've all been paroled. Yes. Yeah, they, they've all since been paroled. 
So. All right. But, well, yeah. when the writer strikes over, I think we have a movie pitch. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can... For, for our serial killer who. Our kidnapped serial killers. Like they thought that they were going to get a high ransom, but <laughs> they got more than they could bargain for. And then he can go on this like. So it won't be this guy, obviously, because we don't want to besmirch these people who went through a real thing. But it'll be like incompetent kidnappers who kidnap like this guy who's maybe taking these kids on a field trip or something like the teacher. And it turns out the teacher is like this active serial killer and he's going to hunt them down and get revenge because yeah. he's a serial killer who loves kids. He doesn't hurt. Kids. Yeah. He, yeah. He doesn't kill kids. Yeah, that <laughs> He doesn't kill kids movie. or animals. He's kind of a weird. He's one of those quirky guys. Maybe he's a serial killer like Dexter who kills other bad guys because that's how oh, he maybe. deals with it. Anyway, I don't know. We'll figure it out. This yeah, is I would say the, uh, really the other movie. movie is that like, he's like a cannibal <laughs> serial killer and they find them and there's just like bones of kids in the trailer. <laughs> In but <laughs> a little bit darker that's the darker <laughs> way to go we'll see which way the studio wants to take it uh once they're willing to take our pitch meeting after the writer strikes over because again we're not skeps yeah well i mean we could start working on the pitch we just can't oh yeah we just can't you know we're not yeah. going to write anything for them or you know no. work with yeah. them until... and not that they're going to read it anyway <laughs> you never know there's a lot of really <laughs> terrible stuff out there <laughs> oh, I know that for a fact. And there's going to be two as the strike goes on. So <laughs> I read all that stuff about how like during the last strike is basically when we got that big blast of like reality television and yep. things. Mm -hmm. and That's so, where it came from. Yeah. And a lot of shows either ended early or had like weird short seasons or like just mm -hmm. really bad seasons because they just kind of had to cut it off and then come back for an episode and then it was over. So, yeah. Yeah, they mentioned some of the movies that came out during that too, which were not good ones from what I remember. Mm -hmm. So, yep. Yay! I think the writer's <laughs> strike is also how Dr. Horrible happened because they did oh. it without this. Like, it was just kind of a thing. I don't know if they did it after the strike, but, like, that was part of how it came about is they didn't have anything to do because they were all striking. And so mm. they wrote Dr. Horrible. <laughs> Dr. Horrible's sing-along vlog, which is one of my favorite things. My cat is named Dr. Horrible. I was going to say, without that, without the writer strike, Locke wouldn't have a name. Well, he no, probably would, Billy, but wouldn't Billy. Lock. Oh, that's right, Billy. Sorry. Billy is Dr. Horrible. Yeah, why Dr. would Locke be named after Dr. Horrible? What am I thinking? Yeah, Locke is named after Locke Lamora from the Lies of Locke Lamora, because I'm a nerd. Um, but Billy is Dr. Horrible. He just doesn't know that's his name, because he goes by the doctor's alter ego, oh. which is Billy. Frankie is inadvertently named after Frank Sinatra, who I hate, by the way. Um, oh. But because the first picture we saw of him, he had blue eyes, and I just thought his thought his name would be Frankie, and so it became his name. And then Sam is named Sam, and then I realized that like we're kind of going towards the Rat Pack here, and so if we get another cat, I'm trying to figure out how to, to name them Dean. <laughs> Um, and then I would have Sam and Dean too, which is also oh. supernatural. So, and everyone uh, would think it was supernatural, and they'd be like, oh. <laughs> Gonna get yeah. another cat named Kaz. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. I'm not. Gonna, I, I think it. I would just stop with the three, right? Because the the, yeah. the fourth guy from the Rat Pack, no one even remembers his name. I don't. I think it was Ray or something. I forget. Anyway, yeah. But. Yep. So. I want to rewatch this hosted by Tori and Nick, and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians. I Want to Rewatch is where we talk about the X-Files and X-Files adjacent television and films. If you like what we're doing, check out our show notes for a way to support the podcast with money or buying merch or 
tell a friend. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time. And together, we'll try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is still, still out there. there. script i'm just it's impossible for me to stay on script i don't know what the deal is but. no it's fine we don't need to this is a podcast not a tightly maneuvered marvel <laughs> movie where they don't tell the actors most of the plot so you just have to read your lines and hope that you're inflecting the right amount of information in there and emotion and actually getting what your character's feeling based on i mean little. i mean it kind of is because i write all this stuff and then you have to read it and don't know what i wrote well, but I've watched the episode, and I write some of them. <laughs> I don't write the in search of ones usually, but you know, X Files is usually me, yeah. colored with my opinions, <laughs> Your which opinions. are far, far more pro Skelly than I even want to be. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> we'll get into that. All right. All right, I know. Oh my goodness, this is woof. That took a while. Then I blame my internet, not the fact that both of us are clearly off the rails today.